Welcome to the Church at Lake Mead, and this is our sermon podcast. If you're joining us for the first time, we want to say thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you again soon. Here is today's message. Lake Mead, we have a new series we're kicking off today, and it's entitled Grow Together. And so um, you might have noticed on um, the wall in the back, we've talked about this, but we have these three core values of our discipleship process here at the Church of Lake Mead to encounter Jesus, to grow together and to live his way. And we believe it is absolutely impossible to flourish as a believer in isolation. We are meant to be in a body. We were designed to be together. We cannot grow. Man, I gotta say this strongly. We cannot grow alone. We were designed to grow together. All right, can I get an amen to that? Amen, grow together, yeah. And so um, we, we're gonna talk about that um, over the next couple of weeks, but we're not gonna look at just simply growing together and why you need to be in groups. We're gonna, we're gonna really look at growth areas where we all need to focus together on. Um, but before we jump into that, I wanna just remind you of what Paul says in Ephesians 4. And if you're a Jesus follower, uh, this, this should just be all you need for the case for being together. In, John chapter, or in, in um, Ephesians 4, it says this, instead, we speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. So Jesus is the head. He makes the whole body. So Jesus is making the whole body fit together perfectly as each part, that's you and that's me, does its own special work. It helps the other parts, that's you and that's me, grow so that the whole body is healthy. And let's all say it, growing, right? So this is pretty self-explanatory. It's we were designed to be together. We were designed to grow together. You know, we were just in, on mission trips. Uh, Emma mentioned that and I just love Emma. Um, and just the encouragement you get, you hang out with a group of people for a week and you're doing ministry and you're loving people and you're following what Jesus says and you're trying to just live that life out. And you know, you really remember when you're in that kind of environment, like just how important the body is, how important they're, the people in that group, their gifts, how they encourage you. Um, you know, and we've kind of, we can easily miss that, right? We have churches and we're all sitting in these rows. We come to church and we hear a sermon, we hear some worship and, and it can really just be about you receiving on Sundays. But friends, that's not really what the design was. It's we gather on Sundays to worship Jesus and minister to one another. One of the, the, the drums I'm gonna beat and beat and beat in this church is that we become a condition to, I'm coming to church, not just to receive, but to give, to be a minister to one another, to help each other in their journey with Jesus. Because that's really what we were designed to do. Each member does its special work to help other members grow. And so that's why we are so, so uh, big on life groups, why every single one of us we gather corporately, we hear, we worship together. That's important. That's a big part of our Christian walk. But then you're in life groups, you're in circles, not rows. You're talking to one another. You're going together on this journey with Jesus. 
And so if you're not in a life group, we really wanna encourage you. Um, there's just so many ways to get plugged into different groups. We just had Alpha end last week. We had, I think, 25 people go through Alpha. Uh, many of them were not believers and they had their, uh, their faith journey kind of started with Christ. Some of them became committed to Jesus during their, their, th those nine weeks. Others are still kind of on that process. But I love that we have uh, something we're doing every semester in the spring and in the fall, where we just gather together and talk about the big questions of life from a Christian point of view, unapologetically, but we allow people to have questions. And you don't have to be a Jesus follower and you can ask anything and you might not be a believer and that's okay. We wanna break bread with you and we wanna just share some time with you. So there's Alpha, there's Jumpstart that gets you connected into life groups if you're already a Jesus follower. And so that's why it's so important as we talk about growing together in this series. So we're on this, uh, in this series, Growing Together. And like I said, it's not gonna be four sermons on why you need to be in a group, okay? We had a sermon series like that already. It's gonna be four sermons about where we all need to grow together. What are growth areas in our walk with Jesus that we can work on? And we're gonna work on them together. And so I wanna talk about four different ones. This will get us all the way into Palm Sunday. But today I wanna to talk about the specific topic of growing together in hope. Growing together in hope. Can I just tell you that we have hope? Do we just need to hear that today? Raise your hand if you just need to hear about hope today. <laughs> you know, you're not alone if that's how you're feeling. Uh, there was, a, there was a, uh, a survey that was released last week from the American Psychological Association and they survey stress in America. I don't know if you saw this come out, um, but they looked at the stressors in America and they said that the United States, the American population is at an all time high of self-identified people saying that they are stressed. 87%, they've never had it hit that mark. They say it's, quote, due to a constant stream of crises without break for the last two years. And also people are in a, quote, overwhelmed and depleted place. So if that's how many of us are feeling uh, in this room or in our neighborhoods or at our jobs, I think now's the time to talk about hope. Now's the time to say, listen, I know the world seems crazy. I know there are pestilences and wars and rumors of wars. And part, part of when you read the book of Revelation, you're like, man, it looks like it's happening, right? I don't know. And I'm not here to talk about end times, but we're in the end times, friends. And, and I want to just do a little rabbit trail. Many of us talk about like, maybe we're in the end times, you know, we are in the end times. It started when Jesus ascended to heaven and the spirit of God descended. That's when the end times started. That's a different topic for a different day. So we're in the end times, friends. We're not waiting for them. We're in them. And we have one job and that's to remain faithful to the lamb who is faithful for us. So I believe that we need to talk about hope. I think right now is a time that Christians can be hopeful when the world seems crazy and maybe people will see in us something that they're missing. Uh, and so we wanna talk about hope for the next couple of, uh, of we or actually this week, we'll hit a new, new topic next week. I think if I were to say this, I think many people today live at the corner of anxiety and despair. You know, the, this psychological study that was done this week uh, or this last couple of weeks was done even before the Russians invaded the Ukraine. And now we have that to add on to our anxiety. They, they pulled, uh, they did a, a kind of a follow-up to the survey and they found that 70% of people 
believe that we're seeing the beginnings of World War III. And so honestly, it is, it's, a, it's an unprecedented time. I've, I have never lived through a pandemic and now I have. And I've never, I wasn't alive when the Cuban Missile Crisis happened. And they're saying this could be similar to that kind of, you know, inflection point in geopolitical, uh, you know, events. And so what does tomorrow bring? I don't know, but we can have hope. And so I wanna talk about uh, hope and I wanna, I wanna kinda boil down and d drill down on that a little bit more. And I just wanna start by asking you a question. Have you ever been surprised by someone's hope? Have you ever had a friend, uh, maybe someone who you knew followed Jesus and they were going through some hard things in their life and, and how they handled it, how they navigated that kind of surprised you? You were like, man, I don't know if I'd have that hope. I don't know if I could hold on the way you're holding on. Like, wow, that's encouraging to me. Maybe that was what drew you to Jesus in the first place. Maybe you had a friend uh, or somebody else that you knew that kind of was walking through some hard things because just because you follow Jesus doesn't mean you're not gonna walk through hard things. And so that might've been something that drew you to Christ. Or maybe um, you're going through something hard and you have experienced this time around, it, harder to have hope. Maybe you said, man, I, in the other situation I dealt with, the other trial I went through, I just had this sense that God was with me, but now I'm not, I'm not so sure. It's harder to have hope right now. And so I don't know where you are. I don't know if it's the, the, the pandemic or if it's the, the war or, or if it's just a personal crisis you're going through that you, you need to be reminded of hope. But I wanna do that today. And I want us as a community to talk about hope today. And I want us to be able by the end of today, my goal is, okay, I'm gonna come right outside and right out front and tell you, I hope that we can look each other in the eye and say, there's hope. There's hope in Jesus. Come on, we're not letting the circumstances dictate our hope because there's an empty tomb. I wanna get started on that right now. Can I get an amen on that? There's hope in Jesus. I wanna look at a story in the book of Acts where we see a response to a situation that's really unexpected. Just like I said, it's not how you'd expect the folks to, to react. And we're gonna look at how they reacted and we're gonna look at why. We're gonna be in Acts chapter 16 and we're gonna dive into this story uh, uh, for a little while today. It says this, it says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia Notice this though, this is very odd. Having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. I really wanna make sure we read carefully. When you see that the Holy Spirit has kept someone from preaching, that should cause your attention to, to rise. What does that mean? I mean, the whole book of Acts is about the spirit descending and sending out the church into the uttermost parts of the world. Why is it now in chapter 16, the spirit stopping the preaching? This is really odd. And, and, and really probably, I wanna just say it, I, I, I think it probably was kind of discouraging for Paul. Just before this, Paul and this missionary team have just left Antioch and they're traveling and they believe that they're, they're going to go visit some churches they'd been to before and they're ready to go again on the second missionary journey. And it's like, you know, we did that once. We had great success seeing the Gentiles come to Christ. This is amazing. Let's do this again. They're all excited. There's even a little bit of controversy and division between Paul and Barnabas. I'm not getting into that today. But Paul and his friends are now headed out and they no sooner start than the door is shut. 
And, and, it, and it continues, look at the next verse, verse seven. When they came to the border of Mystia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mystia and went down to Troas. Man, we're two closed doors in a row. I don't know about you, but closed doors are discouraging. So many times when you think you're doing the right thing, you think you're going the right direction, you think you have God's leading in something and then all of a sudden the door closes, you feel a little abandoned. Like, God, where are you? Why did that door shut? It could be at a job, it could be in a relationship, it could be in a lot of ways where you, feel, you felt like I was doing everything I was supposed to be doing and all of a sudden now I feel like the door is shut. And so Paul and his companions are kind of in a holding pattern and they're waiting. They're at the port city of Troas. It's on the very edge of what you call Turkey, the country of Turkey today. It's just across the little strait from Macedonia. And Paul and his companions are kind of waiting. And I don't know, maybe some of them are like, Paul, are you sure we were supposed to do this? I mean, are you sure we're supposed to go on this mission trip? We don't feel the spirit leading us. It's a very unsettling, have you ever been there? Very unsettling feeling. Where is the spirit at? Well, look, look what happens, verse nine. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia. Here it is, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. There's the open door Paul had been waiting for. And th these, are, these are important moments in our walk with Jesus. These are important moments when you finally get a direction from the Lord. Okay, here's where I'm supposed to go. And these are really important for the future because sometimes we don't realize that the direction we got from Jesus at this moment is gonna be absolutely critical to enduring the opposition that's gonna happen in the next moment. Are you with me? Sometimes friends, listen, extraordinary confirmation, it prepares us for unusual opposition. And some of us need to remember that. You might be in a, a period of opposition right now. You might be feeling like you're in the middle of a trial right now. And you feel like, man, I just feel the, 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 the spiritual warfare in my life. And you need to be reminded, hey, I'm on the right path. I was led here. I know this is where I'm supposed to go. I'm gonna go back to what I knew in the light so that when I'm, when I'm tried in the night, I don't just give up. Do you, are you with me this morning? So much of the hope that we have as Christians is a discipline to go back to what we know is true when we're tempted and tried, when it's really difficult to hold on to that later. Is that, is that important? That's important. So Paul and his, his team have, have gotten clear direction to go to Macedonia. They know that's where they're supposed to go. And so they take the little boat ride across the strait into what we call Europe today. They didn't call it Europe back then, but basically they're now into the, 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 the peninsula uh, where Macedonia and Greece are. And so let's read what happens next. So they've got this direction, whoo, an open door. Let's go for it, finally. They get there and then on the Sabbath day, they went outside the city. This is the city of Philippi. We're gonna look at that in a second. And they get to a, a, a river where they expected to find a place of prayer. They'd heard about a, a prayer gathering along a river. 
It was probably composed of Jews and Gentiles who were all praying to Yahweh. And so Paul and his uh, team hear about this and they go, there's a good place to start. That's a, a, a warm crowd. They're already seeking after God. Let's go tell them about Jesus. So Paul and his disciples go and they sit down. They begin to speak to the women who'd gathered there. Hit that next verse. One of the, those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira. That means she's not native to Philippi. She's a, she's a visitor herself, but she's a merchant. Her name is Lydia and she's a wealthy woman. And the Bible tells us here, the story tells us here that, that she was a worshiper of God and that the Lord opened her heart to Paul's message. So Lydia becomes a follower of Jesus. She's a woman of means. And so she welcomes this group of missionaries to live in her house while they're there in Philippi. And so her house becomes kind of a missionary outpost for Paul and the disciples there as they preached in this new town of Philippi. So, so far, man, the door opened up, things are going well. They already have someone that's following Jesus now. They have a place to stay. This is the confirmation. This is where they're supposed to be. Now he's gonna start his ministry into Philippi itself. Look what happens. This is where it kind of starts to go the wrong way. So verse 16, once we are going to the place of prayer, probably a synagogue, <clears throat> they were met, so they're in Philippi. They're actually in the city now. I kind of fast forward a little bit in the story, but they were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are the servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now, I don't know if any of you guys are in marketing, right? Uh, but you know that sometimes you have people that are your PR people who are not the right person for the job, right? And I'm telling you, a, a demonized slave girl who everyone knows has this like ability to foretell is not probably who you want being your head of PR for your new missionary team to come into the Philippi, right? And so, but this is happening. And Paul doesn't seem to have any control over this. This, this slave girl's being demonized and she's shouting, these are the people who represent the one true God. They're telling you the way to be saved, you know? And I don't know if this is Satan's attempt to like do an end round around Paul's message to maybe like disarm people or, or uh, turn them away from Paul's message before they even hear it. I can't really make heads or tails out of what the, why this is happening, but it's happening. So it happens for a while. Notice what happens in verse 18. It says, she kept us up for many days. Finally, Paul becomes so annoyed that he turns around and he says to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And so this, this poor demonized slave girl uh, is keeping this up every day. And Paul finally says, enough. And he throws this demon out of this girl. Well, this is, if you know the story, this is kind of the, the match that lights the wick that starts the dynamite because what happens next is all of her, the owners that own this poor girl um, who've been making money from her, her uh, spiritual ability to predict the future has now realized that she's no longer ha has this, this spirit in her and they're not gonna make money off of her anymore. And so what you start to see is they, get, they become angry and, and they, they begin uh, shouting and telling, that, telling everyone that Paul and Silas and this missionary team are just not doing what they should be doing. 
And so basically they drag Paul and Silas and these missionaries in front of the, the city officials. And they say, these men are preaching and teaching things that are not lawful for Romans to hear, which isn't true. There was no law against following Jesus at this point in Roman history. Later that becomes the case, but Rome didn't really care about Christianity. It's a small you know, splinter off of Judaism, according to them. And so there was no law, but they made that up and they brought Paul and they brought Silas before them. And in verse 22, it says this, the crowd joined in the attack. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. These are the fasces, the Roman uh, fasces, which is, which is a brutal uh, punishment. Verse 23 says, after they have been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And it says in verse 24, that, that when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. And these are those wooden combed stocks that kind of went like this around your leg or your arms. And then they would put a metal rod and it just really reduced any mobility. It was worse than being chained. It was, you were literally stuck to the wall where these, these stocks would, would stick you completely uncomfortable over you know, any length of time. And that's where Paul and Silas find themselves and maybe others of their missionary team that aren't mentioned, we don't know. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and what? This is not the reaction we'd expect. Right? This is not the reaction that you'd expect from two, two folks that were just flogged, just severely beaten, put into a prison in a situation where there's no you know, due process. Uh, they don't know exactly when they're gonna get out, if they're gonna get out. It's bleak. They've had no success in Philippi yet. All they've met is a poor slave girl who's been running around telling everybody you know, that they're the preachers of the Most High God and now they're in prison and they're beaten. This is a tough spot. What I wanna say here is don't forget they're in a community. I wanna say that if maybe Paul was alone, he wouldn't have been singing because isn't that really how it is? Isn't it when you're really with your brothers and sisters that someone says, hey, I got an idea. Why don't we start to pray? You know what? That's a really good idea. Let's start praying. Hey, I got an idea. Why don't we start singing? See, that's how it works in a healthy community. When you're around your brothers and sisters and you're all in it together, you're gonna have someone that's gonna have a sense, hey, I feel like right now is a good time to start singing. And that's gonna change the mood. That's gonna change the direction. Because guys, it's in community. It's when we're growing together, your spiritual gifts encourage my spiritual gifts. Your faith in Jesus will fan the flames of my faith in Jesus. That's why being together is so important. I don't know which of the two decided they were gonna start singing, but here we have in the middle of the night, two guys who were just beaten, who really don't know how it's gonna play out. And they're praising and they're singing. And actually we're not gonna look at the rest of the story, but that is a witness to the unbelieving jailer and all the rest in prison. You know, sometimes our hope is exactly what the world needs to see for them to come to Jesus. It's Christians that are not looking at the world like it's all coming to an end. Because you know what? We know it's gonna come to an end. But guess who's on the other end of the end? The one who never ends. Come on, somebody. That's Jesus, because Jesus holds it all in his hands. That's the truth that we hold on to. That's why we can sing in a prison. 
That's why we can have hope when it seems hopeless. Do we need to like turn to our neighbors and say, we got hope in Jesus? Do we need that right now? <laughs> turn to your neighbor and say that. We got hope in Jesus. <clears throat> One of the last conversations that Jesus had with his disciples. It's in John chapter 16. And Jesus has been speaking for three chapters about his departure. And he speaks about sorrow and he speaks about joy. And the disciples are really confused. Verse six, chapter 16, it really comes to kind of a crescendo. And he says, he says, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a while, you will see me. And the disciples are like, what does this even mean? He's been kind of giving hints about leaving and going to prepare a place. A couple chapters earlier, like I said, this is an extended conversation. And they're just really confused. And they start to ask each other, what do you think he's meaning about? He's going away and we're not gonna see him. In verse 19, he addresses it. He knows they're confused. And he says, Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. And he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant? And they're like, yeah, we are. <laughs> I love Jesus. He's so awesome. So he knows they're confused by his kind of like his riddle, his like his little ambiguous statement. And he even quotes it back to him, but then he doesn't tell him what he means. It's like, are you guys confused about what I meant? Yes, yes, we are. That's good. I mean, he just leaves it there, right? In fact, look what he does instead, verse 20. This is what he does instead of explaining it. He says, verily, truly, I say. So this is a very, whenever you see that in the book of John, truly, truly, or very, truly, it's, it's, it's a double emphatic. You're supposed to really note it. Okay, very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. That's gonna happen. Lest you think because I'm the king of kings and you follow the king of kings, you're gonna have it easy. You're not. You're gonna weep and you're gonna mourn. It's gonna happen. The world's gonna rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman... <clears throat> Giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child has been born into the world. Now, I'm gonna say this with lots of care. I'm assuming that's true, okay? <clears throat> Jesus said it's true. So we're gonna leave it right there. I do not know what the anguish of having a baby feels like. But I will say this, what's true about humans is that we can have our sorrow erased. And we've all experienced that. You have experienced going through something very difficult and you've experienced the other side and you've experienced how that has been erased. Doesn't mean you don't remember somehow and you completely forget, but it's almost as if you've experienced, if you've been following Jesus, you've experienced the healing of the spirit in that difficult situation to where you're like, you know what? It was a hard situation, but now I find joy where there once was sorrow. Listen, maybe you're not there yet, but can I just tell you it's possible? Joy can swallow up sorrow. It's possible. Maybe some of you really need to hear that right now because sometimes it is hard to believe when you're in the middle of it. 
And then he goes on and he says, so now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Okay. We still don't know what he meant though. What did he mean by a little while you will see me and then a little while or a little while you won't see me and then a little while you will. Like, what does he mean? Scholars have been debating this probably since Jesus said it. And there's basically two schools of thought. First school of thought is that Jesus is speaking about his immediate or his very imminent crucifixion and that the disciples are not gonna see him. He's gonna die on the cross and then he's gonna rise from the dead. And the resurrection of the dead is gonna reverse the grief and the sorrow of the cross. They're gonna be grieving when they see Jesus die and they're gonna be joyful at his resurrection. That's school of thought number one. I think it's a very good school of thought. I'm in that camp, okay? School of thought number two, which I also think is a really good school of thought, is that Jesus is actually speaking about his, his ascension to the Father. They're gonna see him, uh, but then they're not gonna see him, but then they're gonna see him again when he returns, all right? And so is this Jesus talking about his crucifixion and resurrection, or is this Jesus talking about his ascension and his one day return where he brings all things under his feet. Well, Leslie Newbegin, who's a scholar, believes it's actually both. He believes that this is one of John's double meanings. And if you are a Bible student, you know that John has lots of places where he has double meanings. He means two things at the same time. And the reason is because it would be natural to read it as a, the, the, in the first way where it's about Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection because that's what's right in front of the disciples. I mean, that's the easiest reading of this text. However, the reason why it might not just be that is because Jesus is talking about the fact that there's gonna be sorrow and friends, we are still experiencing a world full of sorrow. Can I get a yes on that? So it isn't all joy yet for us. And so what Newbegin says is we're meant to read this both. We're, mo we're meant to read it this way. Jesus's death brought sorrow. His resurrection brought joy. But here it is. The resurrection guarantees that when Jesus leaves again, he has the victory to defeat death and therefore will come again in victory over all death. And so the victory that Jesus won in Easter will be the victory that we experience when he returns. And so in this middle time of sorrow, we hold on to the hope of the resurrection. I love what... <clears throat> My voice is dying here. I love what um, Gordon Smith says. He says, sorrow is only for a time. It's a reminder that all is not well. Our sorrow is appropriate and real. You know, sometimes Christians can go too far the other direction and act like every time that we experience sorrow, we must not have faith. Or every time that we experience fear, we're probably just not very good followers of Jesus because we're, we're afraid or, or, we're, or we're in grief. And, and what Newbigin says, I'm sorry, what uh, Gorman says about this text is he says, listen, when Jesus says now is your time of grief, he's, he's telling us that it's appropriate, it's real. To act like we don't grieve is to not live in the real world. To act like we don't sometimes fear is to not live in a world that's real and has real evil in it. But the difference between a Christian and someone who doesn't know Jesus 
is that sorrow is not our true home. It's not our resting place. It's not where we live emotionally. We were made for joy, he writes, and that joy is secured by the resurrection of Jesus. You know, this is what holds the disciples in all of their trials when you read the Bible, when you read the New Testament. You have this group of Jesus followers who are facing incredible opposition and are being beaten for their, for their message. And yet they do not lose hope because their hope is firmly planted in a tomb that is empty. That is powerful stuff. I think we need to tell America, listen, our hope is not rooted in what happens in the Ukraine or not. It's not rooted in what happens at the gas prices or not. Those things affect us. Those things crush us. Those things make us sad. Those things make us worried. But our hope ultimately lies in the fact that the root of Jesse will return. The Messiah Jesus will come back and he will place all things under his feet. And that is our hope. Paul says those very words in Romans chapter 15. Let's look at this. Again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up. The one who will arise and rule over the nations in him, the Gentiles will hope. Verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. See, that's the problem right there. See, the problem right there is I struggle sometimes to trust in him in the middle of that sorrow. I need you to remind me. That's why we got to do this together. When I'm so, when I'm in the middle of my grief, when I'm in the middle of my despair, when I'm in the middle of my depression, I need a brother or a sister who's stronger, who's not in that same place to remind me of the truth that I'm currently forgetting. That's why we have to be together. That's why we have to be in a healthy community that are pointing us back again and back again and back again to the victory on the cross and the victory on, in the resurrection. We have to keep reminding ourselves. It says that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, our true home is not at the corner of anxiety and depression. Our, our true home if we choose to, should be the corner of hope and joy. We should be reminded that we have hope. I know sometimes it doesn't seem that way. I know sometimes it seems like your trial is never gonna end. I know sometimes it seems like God isn't hearing your prayers, but He is. I don't have an answer to when God doesn't answer our questions and our prayers. I don't know why, but I know we're not the first to walk on the journey that was set before us. The author and the finish of our faith had joy in front of him and he endured the cross, despised its shame so that he could be the anchor for our souls. He hasn't forgotten you. Some of the deepest things we ever learn about God happen on the other side of our trial. Paul writes these words. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, 
You've been there, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. You might be right there and you need a brother, you need a sister to say, I know you're perplexed. I'm perplexed too, but we're not abandoned right now. Don't go to despair. Don't live there. Change your address. Come on. You're tempted to, to, to build a house at the corner of despair and anxiety and, 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 and live there. Don't live there. You don't have to live there. There's a reason to change your address because Jesus defeated the enemy. And I don't know how, and I don't know when, but I know he's gonna have the victory. The root of the offspring of Jesse is gonna return and he is gonna bring all things under his feet. And of his kingdom, there shall be what? Finish it. No end. Can I get an amen to that? Come on. In that same text, look what Paul writes. This is a great place to end today. Therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Are you being renewed day by day? This is where we need to apply all this. What are you renewing yourself in every morning? You know where I'm renewing myself sometimes and I need to stop? The news cycle, because I'm frightened. And sometimes I gotta say, you know, after a good 20, 30 minutes of reading all the news stuff, I'm not in a great spot. My house, my address moved again. I need to renew myself in the word of God. I need to let the community of the church, like, Renew me. I need to be renewed in the Holy Spirit. I need to keep my eyes on King Jesus, not on any king on this earth. I need to say, listen, I don't know what Putin's gonna do. I don't know what the gas price, I don't know what inflation, I don't know what next year is, but here's what I know. Jesus is in control. He defeated the grave. I'm gonna be renewed in that every day. Paul goes on and he writes this, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them. So what, what do we do? We fix our eyes on what is not seen. Our, we fix our eyes, let me read this right. Hit that next verse for me, sorry. Next one. Fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is on unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. Where are your eyes? Where's your address? Where are you living emotionally? We wanna be a community of hope. We're gonna to worship together. Would you stand with me? We are gonna, we're gonna sing that song we sang at the beginning um, earlier today called Promises.